0: Particularly when you're going into something new, there's a weird tipping point where you suddenly start understanding all these things and you start to be able to say and speak with confidence. And it's actually a really satisfying process to go through. It's this like real learning curve.
1: Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and do work that matters. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to discuss how she relaunched her career from being a science museum producer to the founder of a nut butter brand. We'll discuss why testing your ideas is a great way to build confidence and the importance of taking action to turn your ideas into reality. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll talk about how to do something you have no idea how to do. Today, I'm speaking with Pip Murray, a former science museum producer turned founder of the nut butter brand Pip & Nut, which offers a range of eight naturally nutritious nut butters. A keen marathon runner and a fierce foodie, Pip had the inspiration for the brand when she couldn't find a delicious but nutritious protein source to fuel her training. She's received a host of industry accolades, including Startup Entrepreneur of the Year at the NatWest Great British Entrepreneur Awards, a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient in Europe, and And Young Entrepreneur of the Year at the startups.co.uk awards. Now, Pip and I actually first met over the summer when we both served as panelists at a marketing event at Facebook in London. And I decided to connect with her afterwards because I felt like she had some really unique and honest insights into what it's really like to start your own food brand. Now, we typically hear about all the highs of launching your own business or launching your own brand, but we don't always hear about the lows, so we're going to talk about both today, especially if you're someone who's been toying with the idea of starting something of your own. I hope today's conversation can help remind you that the journey to launch your own brand is often daunting at first, but with enough hard work and persistence absolutely can become a reality. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 68. Pip and I spoke this past summer in London. Good morning, Pip, and welcome to Career Relaunch. It's great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: Okay. Well, I'd love to kick off by just having you tell us what is keeping you busy right now in your work and also the rest of your life
0: so busy at the moment so at work we're actually doing a a pretty large funding round which i'm hopefully going to close in the next sort of month i mean we've got a lot of new products coming out this year both within our existing category that we are currently within which is obviously nut butter and peanut butter i think it's six different product launches over the course of the next year so that's a really big one for us wow a big campaign that we're planning in September, but all the hard work happens right now. So yeah, a lot of plates are being spun at the moment.
1: What about the rest of your life? What's keeping you busy right now and the rest of your life?
0: This is always a challenge with having a startup, isn't it? It's like you focus so much on the business and the rest of your life kind of slightly sometimes falls by the wayside. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm currently moving house actually, which I'm meant to be out house hunting to find a new place so that's going to keep me busy. But I'm also going away this weekend for a long weekend, going camping to the Silly Isles. So some fun on the horizon, which is cool.
1: Very cool. Well, we are going to talk a little bit more about Pippin' Nut. So I do want to come back to that. I would like to focus most of our conversation on your historical career before you were at Pippin' Nut and then also your time at Pippin' Nut. But before we do that, as an American, I'm always looking for a good peanut butter here in the uk and i for many years really struggled to find a good one here but then i spotted pip and nut i think in a whole foods and i immediately became a fan what do you think people should look for when they're trying to find a good peanut butter
0: for me it's all about if it's natural or not so we don't put any palm oil in any of our products And it does mean that we get some sort of oil separation on the top of our products. But I actually always think of that as a really great thing. It it shows that the product's totally natural. There's no additives within the products or any palm oil. So that's something that I always look out for. Um, Obviously, I only only eat my own. The less ingredients on the back of the packaging, the better. And use the best quality (laughs) peanuts and almonds that you can get your hands on. Because it really, when you've only got a few ingredients, they make such a difference.
1: One of the things I love about your product is it tastes great and that you also don't use palm oils and it's actually really hard to find a peanut butter that doesn't have Palm oils. So I think it's great you're doing what you're doing. And I also love the range of your flavors. I think I tried your maple nut one. Yeah. Yeah. That was, was the good. first one I tried, which was very tasty. <laughs> well, we're going to come back and talk about your journey as an entrepreneur and the founder of Pippin Up. But before you were doing this, you were in a very different line of work. Can you tell me about your time as a producer for the Science Museum in London? And then we'll move forward from there.
0: I studied anthropology at university, which is not very useful for what I do right now. But when I was leaving university, I always assumed that I'd work within the creative sector. I'd always been interested by um, museums and material culture, which is a big part of kind of what anthropology is about. And so when I left university, I started pursuing a career within the creative arts, worked at various different art centres across London, and eventually kind of went to the science museum where I worked as a theatre producer or assistant theatre producer before I started the brand. And I guess what that role is, is essentially you're helping pull together large theatre shows, the Science Museum in particular, focused on children's theatre. So you're working with kind of creatives as well as technical production, whether that's sort of lighting and sound producers, as well as obviously the directors themselves and the actors. And you're basically the one to help facilitate and coordinate the whole show. So it's a really, really interesting job probably one of those slightly unusual people that I didn't actually really hate my job at all. And I thought the career path that I was on was actually a pretty interesting and potentially exciting one. So going to start up my own business and move into a completely new sector away from kind of more public creative sector was actually quite a big shift, but also something that wasn't I wasn't necessarily pushed. It was certainly a a choice and wasn't necessarily in my initial thinkings when I was sort of growing up that I would run my own business.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because I think some of the founders that we've got on this show, many of them actually say that they never had the intention to start their own business, but it was the idea that pulled them towards starting their own business. How did you move from theater production into creating your own peanut butter?
0: I actually vividly remember the day that I handed in my notice at the science museum and my um, boss at the time, I think looked at me as if I was crazy because it's so random. It's so different that I think he was like, thought I was gone absolutely loopy. But um, (laughs) I think it takes a long time. I think you know, you don't quit your job on the first day that you come up with the idea. The idea forming in my brain took me about two years or a year and a half before I actually fully quit my job. I think that also was partly down to the fact that I had never worked in the sector before. I really, really didn't know what I was doing. And I knew that I needed to get a little bit more validation for both the product itself that I was forming in my brain and kind of started to create in my kitchen, but also needed to kind of validate whether or not I actually liked the idea of, running my own business did I enjoy the process of creating a product and i think that's one of those things that that's what takes time but i think the key steps and when you are looking at kind of starting up your own business and specifically a food one i mean firstly you have to develop the recipes i bought a posh fancy blender and made the products in my kitchen i'd make 200 at a time and i'd take those products to a market down in south london and I'd literally road test them on, on people to see whether or not they liked it. And hopefully they they liked it enough to buy it. And that was my validation. That was my way of sense checking whether or not what I was creating was was something that people wanted. And then it also helps me and get some direct feedback. I think there's something so brutal about selling something to someone on a market stall. So people will be instantly, they'll instantly love it or they'll instantly hate it. And I think you can quite quickly understand whether or not you're on something once you've got that sense check and you've tweaked and refined and um, improved on your products, that was when I was like, yeah, I, I think I want to scale this up. And that's a whole new set of challenges that you face when you scale something
1: up. How did you decide on peanut butter? Like of all the different things that you could invest your time in, I guess you're pretty busy with your day job. How did you decide you wanted to devote all of your energies to this particular food product?
0: So I'd always been interested in the food sector. I've lived in London for 12 years now, and it's such a hotbed for like amazing food trends. you know, got a great food scene with all the food trucks that are popping up all around London. I'd browse the shelves of Whole Foods myself as a shopper and was like, oh my God, there's just so many great products on the shelves and so many more emerging. And I think I first was sort of interested in this sector. I thought, you know, there's an opportunity here where you can be both creative and also have a product that actually does people good. And I thought that was really exciting. However, I landed on nut butter and peanut butter, partly because I am a proper peanut butter addict. I still eat it every (laughs) single day, not a lie. I I love it, if not two or three times a day. It really came from a love of of the product. I was doing a lot of training at the time as I'm doing loads of marathons. And for me, nut butter on toast or in my porridge, whatever it was, was my go-to post-run treat. And I just thought this product is brilliant. It not only tastes unbelievably good and it's so addictive, but it's also filled with like nuts and really kind of wholesome ingredients. And it's not often you get, I think, a health food product that actually delivers on flavor as well as functional benefits like protein and healthy fats and things like that. The thing that was started to actually make me see the gap in the market was that nearly every product that I bought in supermarkets contained palm oil, like I mentioned. You know, from a product perspective, there was really only just peanut butter on the market. And I was like, well, you know, there's things like almond butters and cashew butters and the products themselves take flavor really brilliantly. Like the coconut almond butter was one of our first first products that I developed. And it's just a really great flavor combo. And I felt like there wasn't really a brand taking hold of that. And I just really loved the fact that this space in the supermarket, which was a bit traditional, a bit tired, hadn't really seen a brand enter into this space in the past 30 years, which is so open for an innovative brand to come in. It was all those things that started to come together that I was like, you know what, I think there's definitely a gap here. And there's definitely a growing trend with protein and and fats and things like that being good for you, that I think this could be a business.
1: You also mentioned the two-year transition. And before we talk about how you turned this into a business, I'd be really curious if you could Give us a glimpse into what the transition was like, balancing your day job with trying to get this idea and eventual business off the ground. What was that like for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I always say that the setup phase, startup phase is actually one of the hardest. It's the most isolating and lonely parts of the whole journey, I think. What I used to find so frustrating about it was that you're so reliant on other people getting back to you once the business is up and running, you can run a million miles an hour. It's, it's your prerogative to get things out there and start selling and driving the brand forwards. But when you're setting things up, you're relying on other people to unlock doors so that you can launch the brand. And that I found really frustrating. So I guess in that early days I was working, I went part-time with my job So once I'd kind of tested the products at markets, I decided to give myself some more time and space to be able to develop the products properly and really set up the supply chain and things like that. So you end up being a bit Jekyll and Hyde during your work week. You go and do your your, your normal job and do your nine till five, and then outside of those hours, you're scrolling away on your laptop trying to figure out which supplier of labels do you want to have and how you're going to develop the brand, and because they're so different it can feel like you're two different people, really. It's always really hard when you're setting something up because so many people don't really understand what it is you're trying to create until something becomes an actual tangible product that is sold in supermarkets. For a lot of time, you're having to do a lot of proving yourself and kind of explaining to people what it is that you're doing. Whilst it's exciting, because obviously you're developing a product and it's the first time that maybe you're working, that I personally was working independently without any structure to my day. I'd work three days at the museum and and then the rest of the time I'd work on the business. So the rest of the four days would be on the business. You know, that's really cool and exciting and freeing in lots of ways. But in other ways, you're you're finding yourself having to understand how to build structure back into your day and still a bit unsure whether or not it's going to work. So there's a lot of anxiety there that sits around. So you'd have these highs and low moments. So you'd get a breakthrough on a factory, as an example. You'd find a factory that can make your products and it'd be this unbelievable high because it's a big, big thing if you're obviously creating a product to have a, a good supplier. And then the next day, something else would go wrong. And it's it, these real swings that you'd find or you'd, you'd go for a week or two without nothing really moving because you're waiting on some information from someone. So yeah, tough period. And I feel for people that are in that stage, but it's one of those things you have to hold on to your vision for the brand and the idea that it will come to life at some point or another. But yes, fair bit of resilience needed at that particular point.
1: Let's shift gears here then, Pip, and talk a little bit more about how you turned this into a business and how you scaled it. At what point did you decide you wanted to devote yourself fully to Pip and Nut?
0: At the point I developed the brand. so The brand was all the look and feel of the products and packaging was there. I'd sourced the factory and I'd started to finish. I was almost there with kind of developing the products themselves. That particular point where I went full-time on the business, I was searching for funding. So I was doing lots of pitching to different angel investors. And the weird tangent I had was that I entered a competition, actually. It was run by a company, a startup company themselves, who were doing a bit of a PR campaign. The whole campaign was based around giving a startup a leg up and offering free accommodation and free desk space uh, for three months. I entered on a bit of a whim and the catch of this whole competition was that it was to live uh, rent free, but in a garden shed in the back garden of their headquarters. I entered on a complete whim, not expecting to win this at all and ended up winning the competition. And I remember getting a call from one of the co-founders of this company saying like, Pip, you've won the competition, you're going to move into the garden shed. And it being a moment of like elation because I was like, oh, that's great. I can quit my job. I did not have any overheads that I had to worry about. I could focus on the business completely. But then a bit of fear because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to live in the, in the garden and be like a feral animal in the back garden. But basically what that competition did for me, and I guess it's kind of what a lot of people do, you know, they may, might move home with their parents. But for me, I, I moved into a shed for the summer, which just gave me really low overheads. It extended my runway for a period of time, but also allowed me to completely focus 100% on the business. I think it's a really important step that at some point you do have to cut the course. You do almost have to make this your primary job and less of a side hustle. I actually did a crowdfunding campaign on Crowdcube, which is sort of an equity crowdfunding site, and raised £120,000, which I completed at the end of the summer, which then allowed me to go continue to work full time on the business, move back into normal accommodation and um, get a desk space and a co-working space.
1: So, I'm listening to this, Pip, and this is a very impressive story. And at the same time, I'm listening to this and thinking about other listeners out there who maybe don't have a background in business, but they've got an idea that they're tinkering with and they're thinking about how to turn it into a full fledged business. You were a museum producer before, you mentioned you had a background in the arts. How did you manage to figure out the commercial aspects of starting and running your own business? You mentioned pitching, finding a supplier. You mentioned crowdfunding. How did you figure out how to do all this?
0: I was a complete and utter novice when it came to business, whereas now I love it. And actually, it's probably the elements that I really enjoy is actually the slightly more commercial parts of the business. So for anyone that's out there that's thinking, God, I don't think I can do it because I don't know how to... Do finance, or I don't know what model I need to be working to. Like, neither did I. I totally fresh faced to it all. The main things that you can do to try and upskill yourself is firstly, shrug off any perception that you can't do it. Just get over that as soon as you possibly can, because you're going to have to, and there's no question about it. Secondly, it's about then reaching out to people that you know and any contacts that you potentially have within the sector that you're about to enter into. So. There are a number of brands that I loved. I had a few friends also that worked in the industry and I remember trying to get them to connect me with people that could help. There is a time and a place for consultants as well within any business. So for me, I worked with a kind of finance consultant so that I could get to grips with what the model was. So what margins did I need to make? What margins did other people need to make? And all those really important things that you need to ensure that you've got the right structure, financial structure within the business. So some things I think you definitely need to try and get expertise and you might have to at some point have to pay some sort of consultancy fees in order to get Proper models and access to information, but so much of it you can also get through just learning. And I think listening to podcasts like this is one really good way of starting to absorb things that you need to know. Going to trade events and speaking to people, going to speaking events where people are talking about things, and and trying to grab people at the end of when they're doing their I don't know talks or whatever, and seeing if you can get their email address and go for a coffee and then pick their brain people do share information quite openly. So whether that's a contact name for Selfridges buyer to what margin they make at a certain retailer, most people are fairly open with this sort of information. But it's a gradual process. And I think you just need to take it step by step, particularly when you're going into something new. There's a weird tipping point where you suddenly start understanding all these things and you start to be able to say and speak with confidence. And it's actually a really satisfying process to go through is this like real learning curve. But then this you come out the other end and you're like, wow, I actually have a good grip on what this industry is all about. I think it's all about learning on the job. And I'm a big believer that you can teach yourself anything that you need to know. And then as soon as you possibly can, hire people that can improve on the things that you've started.
1: Very good advice. Now, I know your brand's known for its nut butter pip. Can we talk for a second about The almond drinks? Yeah. Okay, so I first spotted your almond drinks in Holland and Barrett, and I actually like them a lot. For those of the listeners out there who are not familiar with Holland and Barrett, it's a very well-known health foods retailer in the UK, but I understand that the drinks aren't necessarily a product line that you're focused as much on. Can you describe how you thought through whether or not to continue investing into this subline of your products? And I guess what's behind my question is that if anyone out there is listening to this and they've ever started anything of their own and and you've invested all your energy into something to get it off the ground, it can be hard to know when to let go of that idea and when to move on. How did you think through whether or not to keep pushing this subline of products?
0: We have actually pulled them out of the market now. And it was a really tough decision. You know, I developed those products and had such belief that they could work and that they'd be a big part of our business going forwards. When it comes to products, and when you launch them, you know very quickly within the first six months whether or not they're going to really work. Consumers will tell you very quickly whether or not they're something that will continue to prosper. And I think some of the things that we noticed, for instance, was that even when we were doing samplings in-store, we do loads and loads of samplings across our different stores to get people to try our products. The reaction to our almond milks versus what people were like when they tried our nut butters yeah. was just so unbelievably different. People were less excited about them. They'd often not go back for a second sample. All these really like soft measures that you start to clock that you're like, I'm not sure if this is quite right. As well for us, we, we noticed that there were a lot of brands entering that space. And when I initially started developing them, there was still a lot of white space within this particular category. But by the time that I'd finished developing them, they took about a year and a half to develop. It was really crowded and the category itself wasn't growing as it was two years prior to that. And all these kind of market conditions as well, I was like, you know what, this is going to be a really tough to get this going. There were things that we wanted to tweak and change about the products. And in the end, I think we decided that it'd be better to focus our energy and our resources and our finances on driving our core bit of our business forward, which is obviously our peanut butters, and really become number one in that sector rather than trying to diversify too soon. And I think it was one of those really hard lessons to learn, but I actually learned a lot about how important it is to look after what you've currently got rather than necessarily feeling that you need to expand really quickly across all these different areas.
1: Yeah, that's a great tip. I think that there's always this temptation to spread yourself a little bit too thin, no pun intended. And uh, it can be hard to know where to focus your energies. So very interesting. The last thing I want to talk about, Pip, before we wrap up are just a few of the lessons you've learned after shifting from being an employee to a food brand founder and you and I first crossed paths because we both spoke at the Marketing Academy Foundation event at Facebook in London earlier this year. And one of the things I heard you say on your panel and that you alluded to earlier today was that there are very high highs and very low lows when you're an entrepreneur. Why do you think that is?
0: I think it's because you just care so much. You are so invested in the brand, both in doing well, um, but also financially as well. It's your livelihood. And I think for me, like I have really big ambitions, I have really high standards for where I think the brand could go. And so when things don't quite go to plan, you really feel it. Things that don't go quite to plan are often felt more within small businesses because whether you, for instance, don't win a customer that you're expecting to win, that probably is more meaningful for you as a small business owner in terms of financially, then it probably is for, say, a larger business that can switch focus onto a different customer, as an example, and kind of fill the gaps. But I, I do think it's predominantly because you're emotionally connected to the brand. It's almost like your baby, isn't it? It's like something that you've nurtured from a really early age that you know intrinsically. And therefore, if something isn't quite right, you know you feel it. But I, I would say that over time, you stop reacting so much to everything and anything. I feel like now I'm much more level-headed. Yes, there'll be days which get me down or that'll find tough, but I won't react in in such an explosive way than probably I did in the first year or two. And I think that's almost because you start to realise what a real problem is versus one that's just a bit of a hiccup. That's just just something that you build a, a level of resilience and a level of understanding about as business grows. But having said that, the high is when the things are going incredibly well and, you know, you're flying, like, it's just no better feeling. And there's such joy in the fact that particularly a product that you had in your head five years ago is now stocked and you know, Pip stocked in about 5,000 stores around the UK. And it's eaten by thousands of people every day for breakfast, like those sorts of feelings. And when you hear great feedback from people, it's just so rewarding. Particularly when your product is also doing people good, you know, it's good for people, like that's even better. It's one of the blessings and the curses of running your own business. You know, it's not like a job, it really isn't. It's so much more than that. It's not just a clock in, clock out kind of attitude that you take. You really care.
1: Something else you said on the panel, Pip, was that it's important to put something out there, even if it's not 100% finished. What did you mean by that, and why is that so important?
0: particularly when you're starting something up, when you're really at that early stage, you can get a little bit preoccupied on making sure that, or comparing yourself to businesses that are maybe five or 10 years old. Um, And actually, sometimes it's a case that you need to get the product out in the market and tested. Now, there are certain things that probably you can compromise. So for instance, maybe you didn't quite get the packaging supplier that you wanted or, you know, there are things that you'd like to improve. But I think when it comes to the product, try and get it as good as you possibly can do. But I think always be aware that a product can always be improved. But certainly when you're just trying to test something and get a feel for whether or not something is going to resonate with shoppers, I think it is quite important to start doing. Um, Otherwise, your idea will just always be an idea. If you just keep thinking about it, well, nothing's going to move forward. So if you test it on a really like low-level, basic way, that is a really good way to start the ball moving and give yourself some confidence to then really go for it. Otherwise, you'll feel like there's this huge gulf that you have to jump over in order to launch the brand, when in actual fact, it's a series of small improvements that get you to where you need to go.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I think, especially for the perfectionists out there, and I include myself in that group, we have this tendency of wanting to get everything exactly right before we take action on it or to put it out there for people to see. And and in the meantime, you're not learning anything about it. You're probably going to change it again anyway, even if if you've launched the version that you think is perfect. So yeah, a series of small steps makes a lot of sense. Finally, is there anything in particular that surprised you about shifting from working in a museum to running your own food brand and company?
0: I think the thing that I never, ever really thought about was the fact that if everything goes well, which has gone pretty well so far, that you'll be end up leading a team, which seems like a really funny thing to say. Like You focus so much on the product and the, what the brand looks like But for me personally, like the fact that, you know, there's sort of 14 of us in the team at the moment, so it's still quite small, but growing quite fast. Suddenly you find yourself in a completely different kind of role in your own right. And you're a leader within the team. You're there to help shape the culture and nurture and encourage the people within the business to to prosper. It's actually for me, I was 24 at the time when I started up the business. I'd never managed anyone I've never really led anything like never been fully totally responsible for something and now I find myself in a really different kind of job and and that's a whole new skill set which I've had to learn and actually has probably been that hard it's been a really hard part of the journey is figuring out how to be an, a leader that and how to be clear and and give direction to a team of people who are all taking a big risk to work for the business so I think that actually came as a bit of a shock it's sort of a bit of a realization when you You've launched, you're like, oh, right. Once the team starts to grow, you're like, you realize that you've got a whole new job that you never really thought about. All
1: right. Well, let's wrap up with what's next for Pip and Nut then. Pip, can you tell me a little bit more about the new range of products you have coming out?
0: Yeah. So we are launching a range of snacking products in the autumn, which is Oh, huge. cool. Um, so we'll have nut butter ripple through everything that we're doing. So, oh, I'm excited. Uh, lots of really tasty things coming out. And we're also doing, like I mentioned, a, a big campaign in September. So that's something where we'll, for the first time ever as a brand, we'll start to go, you know, above the line in terms of our advertising. So that's a really big moment for the team.
1: Wow, very exciting! And I hope the the brand launch goes well and the new product launch goes well. Where can people go to learn more about your products and also buy your nut butters?
0: Head to our Instagram. It probably shows you our, our the best array of delicious pictures about what to do with nut butters. That's at Pippin Nut. But if you want to go and buy our products, for those of you that in the UK, you can find them in Sainsbury's, Tesco, Asda Morrison's, or for those of you not in the UK, um, you can go onto Amazon or even onto our own website, uh, pipnut.com.
1: All right, well, thank you so much, Pip, for telling us more about your life as an entrepreneur, the importance of focus and also the lessons you've learned along the way of your very interesting career journey. I am gonna continue to enjoy your peanut butters and I just wanted to wish you the best of luck with your new launch this fall. Thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much.
1: So I hope you heard some useful insights from Pip about making the leap to start your own brand, giving your ideas the attention they deserve and the importance of erring on the side of action. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to talk about what to do when you're trying to do something you know absolutely nothing about. Before we get to today's mental fuel, I just wanted to thank A2 Hosting for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. A2 is the web host provider I use and trust for my own websites. They even offer 100% carbon neutral green hosting. For an easy, fast, and affordable way to get your personal website online today, visit careerrelaunch.net slash A2 to get 50% off your web hosting plan. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. For today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to go back to something Pip said about dropping a common self-limiting belief that you can't do something in an area where you have no prior experience also about upskilling and connecting with people who can help you close your knowledge gaps so you can do those things you initially knew nothing about. And this got me thinking about this very natural tendency to second guess yourself when you're trying to do something new in a space where you have no direct experience and no idea how to start. Almost like sabotaging your ideas before you even attempt to make them a reality. I definitely catch myself most often feeling like an unworthy imposter whenever I'm trying to make a pivot to do something new in my career. I actually think that self-doubt is one of the most common emotions you can feel when you're attempting to open a new chapter in your career because, by definition, starting something new means you have no experience in doing it, and understandably, that can feel daunting, overwhelming, and prohibitively difficult. For example, before I started this podcast, I'd spent a lot of time wanting to do a podcast, but feeling a bit stuck because there was just so much to figure out. But I eventually broke it down. I remember listening to other podcasts about how to start a podcast. I read some articles by leading podcasters about how to secure sponsors. I solicited opinions about the various microphones I could buy from podcast hosts out there who I thought sounded good on air and were gracious enough to point me in the right direction. And I did quite a bit of online research to fill my own knowledge gaps when it came to the technical aspects of creating a podcast feed and website. Eventually I figured it out. And going through the process of creating this podcast has actually helped give me more confidence when I'm trying to do other things I've never done before. For example, I've been thinking about writing a book about career change because I've had a couple publishers reach out to me, and this is something that audience members and clients have asked me about before, but I literally have no clue about writing a book, whether I can make the time to do it, and exactly where to start. At the same time, I know that people out there who have never written books do write books, So, I know it can be done. So, the way I start doing something I know nothing about is to first write down all the unanswered questions I need to address so I can at least visualize the extent and scope of my knowledge gaps. Then, I make an honest judgment call about whether I can realistically fill those gaps. And finally, I start taking action to fill specific gaps one by one. So with the book idea, I'm planning to talk with as many authors as possible to just get a lay of the land. I'm going to try and connect with people who know about working with publishers. And I've already signed up to a course this March in London about how to publish a book. The truth of the matter is that Pip is absolutely right about your ability to learn what you need to learn if you have to. In her case, she didn't come from a business background, but she eventually learned what she needed to, and now Pip and Nut is the fastest-growing nut butter brand in the UK. Something I try to remind myself is that everyone has done something for the first time at some point in their careers, It's easy to think that someone out there who's got years of experience in an industry is somehow categorically different from us or more capable than we are. But at some point in time, that person also had no experience. Those experienced, seasoned professionals you may be comparing yourself to also had a first day on the job. They had no clue what they were doing at some point, and they were also novices before. So for me, what I have found most helpful when embarking on something new is to first at least take an inventory of all my knowledge gaps I'll need to fill in order to have a shot of being successful. And those gaps fall into two categories. First, what I know I don't know, but need to figure out. And second, what I don't know I don't know. In other words, my blind spots which I've found can be best illuminated by talking with people who are way more experienced than I am in the area I'm exploring. Then, once I feel like I'm going into the process with my eyes reasonably wide open, I try to err on the side of going for it and starting, knowing that starting is typically the hardest part. This takes me to a quote from Zig Ziglar, "'You don't have to be great to start, "'but you have to start to be great.'" So my challenge to you, especially if you feel like there's no way you can do something or you feel like you don't have the skills or experience or knowledge to pursue some idea that you would actually find really gratifying is to sit down and take an honest inventory of what it would take for you to get yourself to a place where you did feel comfortable giving it a shot. It could be a knowledge gap you would need to fill so you can go into the process well informed, or some specific questions you need to answer, or a set of skills you would need to acquire. Capture exactly what those knowledge gaps, unanswered questions, or missing skills are. Then take action to address at least one as a way of starting. For example, reach out to your network, maybe on LinkedIn or Facebook, to see if anyone knows someone who could shed some light on your questions or enroll in a course that allows you to upskill or learn a missing skill, or even just Google the question you need answered to see what you can uncover with your own online research. I really believe you can be incredibly resourceful when you care enough about an idea you want to pursue. And with enough tenacity, you'll get yourself to a place where you can go for it, knowing that you've done the groundwork to give yourself the best shot of succeeding. All right, so I'm going to practice what I preach here and just ask you for a little help. I've got a few specific questions I'm trying to answer about writing a book before I embark on writing my own book and would love to speak with you if you or someone you know has been involved with book publishing either as an author who's published a book or as a book publisher. If you're willing to spare 15 minutes to chat with me, I'd really appreciate you emailing me at joseph at careerrelaunch.net and we can hopefully set up some time to chat when it's convenient for you. Thanks in advance for your time. If you enjoyed today's episode and wanna learn more about our guest Pip Murray or her brand Pip and Nut, just go to careerrelaunch.net slash 68 where you can also find a summary of our discussion today. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 68. In our final Career Relaunch episode of 2019 that airs in a couple weeks, we're going to stay here in London where I'll be speaking with a psychotherapist who founded her own wellness magazine. We're going to talk about how losing someone close to you can shape your own career decisions and what it's like to balance two very different jobs that require you to be two very different people. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch and a very special thanks to Pip Murray for sharing her unique career story with us today from London. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington. Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll see you next time.